Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you're a God that hears our prayers. You're a God that loves us so much that if we need to be reminded of your amazing, amazing omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, Father, you go to the extent of telling us that even the very hairs of our head are numbered. Lord, as much as we see these precious little children, as much as we, we love our wives, as much as wives love their husbands, as much as we have this love, we, we can't even begin to know anybody that intimately with that kind of detail, yet that's the kind of love you have for us. We ask, Father, today, once again, that you would bless us as we open up in your living and active word, and we would recognize that there's a necessity for sustenance to be able to run this race that you've set before us. And so we ask you, Father, lovingly, honorably, respectfully, yet confidently, that you would be our teacher this day as we open up your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Poor Jarius. I would have been beside myself. During all that was going on last week, you remember that he originally was the first one to get to Jesus when Jesus had come back from the Gadarenes and encountering the demoniac before they had gone to the other side and then found themselves in this tremendous storm a day in the life of Jesus, I would imagine the apostles were, were a little bit uh, shaky. What's going to happen next? And so they come off the boat, and what is it that they find immediately after leaving a demoniac, they find themselves encountering a religious man, a quite religious man. In fact, a ruler of the synagogue. And they get there, and immediately he says, come to my house, my daughter is dying, my daughter is dying, I need you right now. And Jesus says, okay, let's go, let's go. And he's on his way, and on the way, a woman, as you remember, who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, came up and thought, if I can just get to him, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be healed. I know that the power that he exudes, the power that he emits, the power that just comes from this man can heal me. It wasn't that she was looking for some kind of faith direction that would, that would prompt something like you hear these faith, these health wealth preachers talk about. If that was what it was, she could have gone out into the woods and looked at some tree or she could have prayed to Gaia and she could have found some universal manifestation of some source and tried to find the faith to heal herself. Her faith was in Jesus. Don't overlook that. We're talking about Jesus here. Where did she go? She went to Jesus. So when Jesus says, sister, your faith has made you well, he doesn't need to say your faith in me has made you well because that's where he went, where she went. She went to Jesus. That we would never get the, the direction that God would have us to go for a touch with anybody else. We go straight to Jesus. He is the author he is the finisher of our faith. And so now she interferes, I'm using that word, and, and, and Jarius is probably back going, okay, 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 come on, come on, come on. My daughter, my daughter, Jesus, my daughter. 
And he stops and he takes time to minister to this lady. And he heals her. There's an amazing miracle that takes place. I would submit to you that what was taking place might have been necessary because Jairus was going to need to be able to remember that Jesus had powerfully touched this woman. That the Jesus that's coming to his house to, to heal and or we'll later find out, revive his daughter is the one that's capable of doing miracles, powerful miracles. And God is never slow, you guys. Sometimes it does seem that, that there are, are places in where he doesn't move as rapidly as we would like him to. But we look at this. This witness that Jairus is going to experience is going to bolster his faith. And I think that it's interesting to keep in mind it wasn't easy for Jairus to come publicly and to ask for help. I mean, come on, he's the leader. He's one of the, the synagogue rulers, as we talked about last week. He's like a pastor. He oversees what takes place in the synagogue. He oversees the teachings that are taking place. He had a lot on his plate. And he knew that there was tremendous opposition. There were those who were recognizing Jesus. Certainly we know as we will see that Jesus encounters um, people who were, were, were trusting in who he was, recognizing him to be the Messiah. But then there were those that were saying, this guy is causing a lot of trouble. He's casting out demons by a demon. He is a demon. Horrific, horrific blasphemies were taking place through some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. At this case, we had a man who desperately wanted to have his daughter healed. Sometimes that'll bring about a humility. That'll bring about a, well, let me give this a second thought as to what Jesus might do. The things Jesus had done and taught in the synagogue, they had aroused anger in the scribes and the Pharisees. As I say, some of who were probably Jairus's friends, but Jairus was desperate. He was desperate. The life of his daughter was much more important than his peer pressure. Keep that in mind. There's a sermon there. Our lives in regards to who Jesus is to us, the lives of our families, the vehicles by which we seek out information, direction, counsel as to find life and that more abundantly only comes through Jesus. Much more powerful when we're at the end of our rope to recognize that Jesus is the one that can do these things. So throughout this entire event, it's our Lord's word that's going to make a difference. It's what he is going to speak. It's who he is going to proclaim himself to be. Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some came from the rulers of the synagogue's house and they said, hey, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Father, once again, we ask you humbly, reverently, to be our teacher. I don't want to just get up here and talk. I don't want to give a speech. We want your Holy Spirit to illuminate, to bring to life your living and active words that we would all be edified, we would all be encouraged, we would all be bolstered in our faith and confidence in who you are and it would carry over into the way we conduct our lives. 
We thank you that you tell us that you desire to feed your lambs. And so we ask you confidently to be our teacher this day in Jesus' name. Amen. So while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Guys, I tell you what, the enemy wants us to give up hope. There's no more hope. Give it up. Yeah, I realize this church stuff might have seemed like a good idea for, for a moment or two. Give it up now. It's too late. Not going to be able to, to see anything miraculous here. We've all seen people with so much potential just give up. I've seen, you've seen, if there are any football coaches, athletic coaches, any school teachers in the room, any musicians, whatever it might be, you've seen people that have so much talent. They are so gifted. They could do so much, and they just give up. They give up. At this point, Jairus had to believe either his friends who were saying, your daughter's dead, give up hope, or he's going to have to believe Jesus. And this is amazing because through all of this, we see that Jesus is, is willing to minister to Jairus through this problem, through this storm, through this difficulty. Sometimes people go, have you called so-and-so? I don't know, I don't, you know, things are so, so tough. I, I, I don't really even know what to say. Jesus was not afraid to encounter Jairus. Jesus will come to right where you are, you guys. The only thing that keeps you from finishing the race, the only thing that keeps you from being a recipient of what it is that he wants to personally intervene into your life with is your pride or your lack of trust, or your lack of faith. Pride, lack of trust, lack of faith. It's a very easy, simple equation there. Pride, lack of trust, lack of faith, equals trust in yourself and not Jesus. Trust in yourself instead of trusting God. Because when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, the word of God says that he will be the one that will lift you up. A sympathetic friend showing up the door. Hey, come on, man. Give it up, give it up. You know, dude, I, I heard you've gone through something really bad. You know, I'm gonna show up at the door and they knock on the door and, and they wanna console you with, you know, a big Starbucks certificate, you know, maybe, or something that, here, let me take you out to dinner. Maybe this will make you feel better. Maybe this will get your mind off of these things because, because realistically, you have no hope. So all we can hope for is maybe like a, a nice dinner tonight. No. Jesus must have thought, I knew, or excuse me, Jairus, Jairus, Jairus must have thought, I knew this was taking too long. I knew there was a diversion. I knew we were supposed to get here as soon as possible. And what happens, this lady shows up. It was my turn. I was actually first in line. I caught Jesus before she did. And what happens, she gets, I get bumped and she gets to have a miracle. And now my daughter's dead situations beyond hope your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher give it up give it up and as soon i love words like this in the bible christian as you're reading there's so much excitement about god's word and there are just little nuggets and this is just one of the little ones as soon 
boom, instantly. As soon as Jesus, as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, heard the negativity, heard what the, those who were opposing him said, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. The, the, the verb for believe is called is in present tense, and it means continuing, continue to believe. Well, I was believing yesterday, but now I'm not really believing. No, our faith, our faith, our trust should be a continuation. The enemy wants to say, give it up. No sense in believing today. The problems are too far beyond anything that can be done. No, the word for this, this continue to believe is is a continuation, an action verb. And Jesus told Jairus to do two things. Very simple. I like instructions like that. I can kind of handle two, two word instructions. Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. It must have seemed callous, in fact, and somewhat insensitive for Jesus to say to a man who's just lost his child, to not be afraid, but just to believe. It's like, yeah, but what about my heart? What about the loss? What, am I, what about these things that I'm encountering? Christian Jesus, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, God knows every detail of our lives. And as we find a confidence in his love for us, and that confidence in his love for us comes by our faith building because we're reading God's word. We're seeing how he loves this little 12-year-old girl of, of Jairus's. He loves Jairus. He loved the demoniac. He loved the woman with the hemorrhage. He loved his disciples when they were freaking out in the boat. He loves us. He wants to be there to give us the hope, to give us a confidence. And he just says to directives, don't be afraid, only believe. He wasn't being callous. He was just telling him, Christian, there is only one kind of fear that a Christian should possess. Only one. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's very interesting to me. Because this kind of fear in the Greek is translated as yera. Yera. This kind of fear. And it, it, it's defined as a moral reverence. A moral reverence. The fear of the Lord. It's not, and I, I say this, I'm almost skeptical, and I've heard these young people, and please, I'm, I'm not, I've heard old people do it too. Well, the old man upstairs and I have an agreement. I don't bother him, and he doesn't bother me. <laughs> you know, you better shape up. Or you hear these kids, hey, God, hey, dude, how you doing, God? Hope you're, hope you're chilling up there in heaven. I just, I want to headbutt them too. I mean, there is a reverence, and one cannot have that kind of attitude that has not had a divine awakening, a born-again experience. And we toss the expression born-again around. That is one of the major words in Christianese, born-again, born-again. Yes, lest a man be born again, he can't see, he can't fathom, he can't comprehend the things of God. Once somebody is born again and their eyes are opened up, it's not the old man upstairs. It's not, hey, Jesus, dude, in heaven. Hope you're enjoying the day, man. It is, oh, God, 
You are a holy God. With your words, you spoke this world into existence. With the power of your hands, you hold all things together. And I thank you that by your grace, I'm able to come before your throne because without that grace, I would be as useless as whatever would take place if you released your hand from holding this whole world together. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. That's the fear, the wisdom of the Lord. But in the case of our text, it's interesting because the fear of this nature uh, and, and faith, that they don't go together. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I might say that the second half of that scripture says that the power, the love, and sound mind comes from knowing who God is that truly fears the Lord. But this word in Timothy that he's using is called um, dileia, dileia. And it means timidity. God hasn't given you guys a spirit that causes you to be a bunch of timid people. A bunch of, a bunch of timid people. <laughs> Joshua 1.9 says, Have not I commanded you? Be strong. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There is a confidence, there is a boldness, there is a, 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 a bravery, if you will, that's manifested because we know who God is, and it's not, oh, we're all gonna die. Oh, oh woe is me. On all of this pining and worrying, God has not made us a bunch of timid people. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge. The type of knowledge that's used in that scripture is a knowledge that comes from knowing God, experiencing God, seeing God's faithfulness in your life. And then once that has taken place and the spirit of God is confirming these things in your heart, you can say, yeah, that's right. In my weakness, he's made strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And he's never gonna leave us. He's never gonna forsake us and he's gonna finish the work he started in us. Yeah, man, there's a boldness that comes from that. But the boldness, the strength, the confidence is only in who Jesus Christ is. And we are able to, to tap into that strength as we decrease and allow him to increase in our lives. Powerful stuff. So before Jairus could really trust Jesus, he had to put away his fear. Gotta put it away, man. Jesus didn't, didn't simply tell Jairus, you know, he, he told him, just believe, Jairus. Not a lot of depth here. Just believe, Jairus. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Don't try to figure it all out, Jairus. Only keep, keep, keep believing. And Jairus' friends brought hopelessness. Give it up. She's dead. Don't even bother the guy. Just let me try to help you with your problems. But she's, she's already gone. They brought 
despair and Jesus brought hope. Jesus brings hope, you guys. That's our Lord. So Jesus permitted no one to follow him now. Certainly wasn't going to let these, these, these negative people that had come saying, hey, your daughter's dead. Why bother, bother the teacher anymore? He wasn't going to let them follow him. He let Peter, James, and John follow him. I love this because there's a little interesting point here. This is Jesus' inner circle, if you will. He had 12 disciples. We all know that. And when I was praying this morning, and, and, and Big Ben had sent me this text, and, and I, I was thinking, I, I, there's so many great guys in this church that I was praying, God, who are the guys that, that we would want to pray over Big Ben with? And I thought about the three men that came up this morning. Those are the ones that the Lord put on my heart. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful that there are guys that we can specifically ask to pray for you all. We're all at different places in our walks, and I would venture to say that even the 12 disciples, we find that, that, that James and John and Peter, they were different places in their walks. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> James and John. Lord, these people... <laughs> They weren't honoring you as they should. Should we like, you know, call down fire on them? And Jesus is going, hey, James and John, clearly don't need to do that. Sons of thunder, Peter, I'll never, I'll never turn from you, Lord. Pulls out a sword there in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and cuts off the ear of, of Malchus's son or servant and, no, these are radical guys. Radical guys. Christian, I would encourage you to surround yourself with radical guys and gals. You don't want to surround yourself with those that are saying, come on, man, it's too late, there's no hope here. No, you want to, you want to be around those that, these three men, I would venture to say, they were expecting, they knew something powerful was going to happen. They were anticipating something. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult and those who wept and they wailed loudly. Tumult, weeping, and wailing loudly. Keep that in mind. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. So what we have here, we have tumult, weeping, wailing, and ridicule. Those are things that we would probably run from. None of us want to be ridiculed. Our ego is so fragile. Our self-image is so, is so, that we do not want to be ridiculed. Interestingly enough, in that day, it was customary to hire professional mourners and to add to the atmosphere of the grief and pain at a funeral. So like you might cater you know, a, a meal at a wedding. Well, they catered mourners, if you will, for this. And we look at this, and, and they're saying, don't tell us that this child is dead, is not dead. Don't tell us that, that this child just is, we've got a job to do here. We've got a contract. We're getting paid really well for this. And oh, oh, 
oh, and let's just have this great emotional fanfare of, of, of weeping and crying for this child. Obviously, think about the, the irony here. You saw some mourners yesterday. The vast majority of them had smiles on their faces and were excited about the things of the Lord. But there were some that were emotionally distraught. But I'd venture to say everybody that was supposedly emotionally distraught in this scenario, they weren't wanting to see some miracle take place. Their emotion and their concerns weren't that, oh, Lord, if you could just bring this one back to life. Oh, if you could just do a miracle. No, they just wanted to display, and I'm not saying this happened yesterday. Please don't misunderstand me. But this scenario, these people just wanted to display how emotional and how dramatic they could get. They'd been paid to do a job. And I think it's interesting that their emotion and their wailing and their weeping so quickly turned from, from weeping to ridicule. They were ridiculing him. They ridiculed him. The impact is saying that they kept it up. They kept it up. They kept pushing him. One commentator says, since even the poorest man was required by common custom to hire a minimum of two flute players and one professional mourner in the event of his wife's death, it is probable that one who held the rank of synagogue ruler would be expected to hire a large number of professional mourners. This was quite an event that Jesus had walked into. And Jesus wasn't out of touch within the reality, when he said the child is not sleeping, he wasn't in some um, place where he was trying to exercise some mind over matter issue. Jesus had an eternal perspective. Jesus had a perspective through the eyes of the Father that we would have our perspectives through God's eyes, through God's heart, through God's strength, through God's ability instead of the perspectives of a lost and dying world who don't know anything and so all they have to rely on is their self-made little cutesy ideas and plans to try to get them through a life without the Lord. Jesus knew Jesus knew. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said to Martha, uh, the sister of Lazarus, you all know the story. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives believes in me, whoever, excuse me, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Do we believe that today, Christian? Jesus knew a higher reality, and that's what we're all after. It's not that we're going to be intellectually or philosophically superior to anybody. No, what we're after is that place that God inhabits in our life through the Holy Spirit that then gives us the peace that allows us to experience things beyond our understanding, and that's what took place here. A spiritual truth that was much more certain and powerful than death itself because it was something that was being communicated and expressed by God. But when Jesus had put them outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and he entered where the child was lying. 
Unbelief laughs at God's word, but faith embraces it. Unbelief laughs, scoffs at God's word, but faith embraces it. Jesus would have nothing to do with these people who didn't believe. Cast them out. Don't need to be in here. Get them out of here. He drove them out so they wouldn't be there to discourage the faith of Jairus. Christian, it's very important as I continue just to ramble on a little bit. Watch out who you hang out with. You know, I, you hang out with somebody who's got this, what I call, it's a very deep, it's something that probably not many of you theologians know about, but it's a very deep theological principle here. I will share it with you because I'm so adept at these things. It's called the Eeyore Syndrome. Oh, well, we'll probably all die tomorrow. Oh, well. I do a pretty good Eeyore, don't I? Anyway, <laughs> I don't, I, do I? My wife goes, yes, he does. No. <laughs> but, but no, no, hang out with those people that are going to encourage you with Scripture. It's like, dude, get up off the floor. What are you doing? God said he's going to finish this work. He start, he's come to give you a hope and to give you a purpose. God knows these things. Surround yourself with people like that. It does not mean, drumroll please, it does not mean not to minister to those people that don't have that kind of faith. But the ones you want to hang with are the ladies, the men that are going to encourage you, are those that you know that you could call upon to anoint somebody with oil, or to pray for. We've done that, and we've called upon on all of you all to pray for our Brother Ben. Those are the ones you want to be around. That's where you want to be. Then he took the little child by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumi. Now, those are not magic words. We've heard these faith preachers on the dark side of the TV somewhere and they're walking around in their three-piece suits and their coiffed, coiffed hair and, and all of this stuff. saying all It's not a magic word. It's an Aramaic expression for little girl. Little lamb, actually. Arise. Get up. It's the word that Jesus used. Your words could be Father, touch this child. We ask you, humbly, that you would do a miracle in our brother's life. Not our will, but your will be done. But we trust you with this. And there's a humility there. There's a humility there. And Jesus said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And I think it's cool because he spoke to her as if she was alive. <laughs> it's like, well, we need to... Reviver before I can speak to her. No, this is God in the flesh speaking. Jesus did so because he's God. Romans 4.17 says that God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as if they did. That's the God that we serve. He's not limited by anything. Jesus spoke to this girl with the power of God and she was raised from the dead. I love it. Genesis, who are we talking about here? Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became 
a living being. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. I guess they were. All of the negativity, all that was being said, all that they were figuring, and you know that Jairus was just saying, I gotta believe, I gotta believe. It wasn't mind over matter, clicking his heels together. It was looking at Jesus and saying, this man told me to believe. Jesus has told you, not what I have told you. If I tell you something that comes from Lonnie, it's worthless. If I tell you something that comes from this word from the Lord, you can take that to the bank. I'm just a speaker. I'm no different than any of these other instruments here. God is the one that's communicating a truth. And Jesus said this. He gave these words to Jairus that your child is not dead. She's just asleep. And Jairus believed that. He believed that. The law, interestingly enough, required two or three witnesses for confirmation of truth in regards to a miracle. There are five witnesses here. Five witnesses here. And Jesus commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. See, guys, here's the thing. The little girl didn't just open her eyes and say, you know, I feel a little bit better. She got up and walked around. She felt better, yeah. She didn't lay there and go, well, I, I think my fever's starting to break. I think I might feel better this afternoon. She got up and she walked around. The other thing that I think is fascinating here is when Jesus told him, give her something to eat. Just as the woman had had that hemorrhage for 12 years, that plague, that difficulty, this precious man had had the joy of a beautiful little girl. And I'm a little girl guy. I, I dig KJ. He's like the little the son I never had. But I tell you what, I love little girls, man. I have two of the greatest little girls, and I have four of the greatest little girls now through my two grandbabies. And five of the greatest little girls through my precious wife, who through her all this has been able to happen, man. And he looked at that little girl that he'd had for 12 years. She's now going to be a little woman. And his love for her and the way he cared for her and to be able to know that, that Jesus would make her feel better. She's going to need some food now. You know, telling how long she's been laying there. But give her some sustenance. She's going to need some energy, man. She's going to want to go out and play now. Feed the little girl. Jesus commanded them strictly that no one should know. Because Christian, Jesus didn't come, drumroll please. Jesus did not come to do miracles. He was not the miracle worker per se. But what do you mean by that, Biggs? Luke 19.10 tells us, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The miracles of Jesus Christ were performed, drumroll please, as a sign to testify to his unique identity as the Messiah from God. Indeed, only God could perform such miracles that Jesus did. The miracles were to establish who he was, and Jesus said, don't tell anybody this. 
because I still have a lot of work to do. And you saw what happened when I came back from Gadara in the boat, and I was, no pun intended, swamped after he got off the boat with people running to him. People are running because they want things. We will find as we continue to read, people will be following him because they think he's got a free lunch for everybody. Everybody was after him for the things that they could get and they were forgetting that he came to seek and save the lost. And that's what is so troubling with me when I watch somebody, something, some person on, on TV and he's talking about all of this stuff and you don't hear a word about the fact that your sins are forgiven. You now have the benefit of eternal life through the finished work of the cross. And God has touched you. He has healed you. But that healing and that touch is proportional, I would venture to say, as to someone's value that they place on their salvation. The challenges. That, that PBJ deals with. He's not out there to fix people. He's out there to get them to fall in love with Jesus Christ, to learn to cling to, to learn to trust in Jesus Christ. And then the reality that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you is, is real. But otherwise, you're just kind of just, you know, addressing a symptom all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have done difficulties. And I tell you what, some of us have our addictions and nobody knows about them, man. But we've all got our issues. And Jesus is the one that has come to set the captives free. And as we cling to, trust in, and rely upon him, he works within our hearts. And the outward manifestation of what he's done in our lives brings about a victory that brings glory to the one who's blessed us for all eternity. And that's who we're talking about right here. Jesus conquered danger of the the storm on the Sea of Galilee, encountered demons, conquered the disease with the woman. Now he's overcome, he's conquered death. And these miracles demonstrate how Jesus met and he helped all kinds of people from his own disciples to a demoniac to a woman who was embarrassed to shout out why she was trying to touch Jesus to a synagogue ruler. Every gamut of personalities of issues across this room, Amen. Jesus meets. He's there to meet that. He's able to bless us today. Amen. Do we serve an incredible God? Is this life so much more beautiful than we ever imagined it? Because through the eyes that we have now, we can see it as it is, and we can desire to walk in the direction that God has shown us. We can walk with the stewardship. You know, there's another Christian word, stewardship. We can walk with the proper care and maintenance of the life that we appreciate, the life that we are tremendously thankful for because we know there was nothing within us that was able to bring it to us. Jesus, though our sins were scarlet, has washed us white as snow. We now, by faith, can approach the throne of this God who the beginning of wisdom of is fear, reverence. We can now approach his throne of grace boldly 
because grace is the operative word there. We're saved by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We've got so much to be thankful for, you guys. And if we would just take this joy, take this reality, take this truth out into the streets of this little town, things would start to change. I beg you, I beg all of us to remember the miracles. We were all dead and we have been raised by the blood of the Lamb and now it's no longer us who lives but Christ lives in us. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up. Oh, Father, you're so good to us and I know that we at times allow the cares and circumstances of this world to overwhelm us we allow them to, to take us to a place, Lord God, where, where we're only seeing the waves around us. We're only seeing the afflictions that we might have physically. We're only seeing the, 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 the total and complete uh, defeat of, of, of death. We're only seeing, Lord God, uh, the way our lives were, were so deranged at one time. Father, help us to see this life through your eyes. Help us to see with all humility ourselves as you see us. Your word tells us that we are more than conquerors. Your word tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Your word tells us that we are are, are uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Your word tells us that we are your ambassadors. Your word tells us that, that we are those that will represent you in a decaying world by, by being able to be that preservative that would bring, bring savor and flavor and something good out of a rotting world. You've told us that we are the salt of the earth. You've told us that, that amidst the darkness, amidst the, the stuff that's going on today with all of this political, social, medical stuff that's just pouring down, Father, you've told us that we can be light and we can illuminate a pathway that's divine. If there's anybody in this room that's been lied to, that's been ripped off, that's bought the lie, that has felt that, that their faith and their relationship with God is so secondary that, that the things that really need to take place can't take place because of where you see yourself as being, I pray that today would be a day that you would surrender, throw that stuff aside, and you would stand firm against the schemes of the enemy because it is his strength that's giving you the ability to be victorious. If you're looking on your own strength, good luck with that one. But if it is the strength of God, you truly with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your soul say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't you ever leave Christ who strengthens you out of that statement. This is not some health wealth, name it, claim it, grab it, blab it mentality here. This is just as that woman realized the faith that she had was a faith that was founded on Jesus whom she approached, that your ability to do all things comes through Christ who strengthens you. 
Let him be the victor of this day. You decrease. Get out of his way. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, delight yourself in him and he will establish your steps. Father, we thank you. Bless your people today. Bless us with a special touch from you that will allow us to navigate this life in spite of the tumult, in spite of the ridicule, because we know that our Redeemer lives and we know that you're coming back for us one day and you have told us to abide and we will do so, Father, because you've also told us that we can do all things through you who strengthens us.